listener production. Australia Today's Morning Agenda with Natasha Belling. Morning. Thanks for your company. Let's check what's making headlines this Wednesday, the 18th of May. Just three days before Election Day, and the latest poll shows the gap is narrowing between Scott Morrison and Anthony Albanese. The primary vote for Labor has dropped, while the coalition's up one point. With preferences, the opposition is just ahead 51% to 49%. On a two party preferred basis, it's 53 to 47, while Mr. Morrison still leads Mr. Albanese as preferred. Prime Minister. It comes as Mr Morrison faced a grilling overnight over his leadership on Channel 9. A current affair host Tracy Grimshaw questioning Scott Morrison over his COVID management, his response to the Black Summer bushfires and China. You weren't doing 16-hour days in PPE on COVID wards. You didn't get enough vaccines soon enough. You didn't get enough rats so that we could finally have a holiday interstate for Christmas and China is set up based in the Solomons. Do you think maybe you slightly over-egged the part about I saved the country? Well, that's, that's quite a long list you've been able to pull together. But let me say this. We've come through this pandemic better than almost any other advanced country in the world. JobKeeper was save the country. That's specifically what I was referring to. And if you don't think it did, Tracy, well, you can, uh, you can have that argument with the 800,000 people who kept a job as a result of that. While the opposition leader has also been questioned over his stumbles during the election campaign, Anthony Albanese again asked about his NDIS blunder. You didn't know the details of your national disability insurance. Well, I did. The six-point plan, you didn't know the six points. But well, there aren't was, six was points. That, There's more than six. That's you, the point. OK, you said you'd had a six-point plan and you didn't know them. But was it a case of brain fog or is there something no. more problematic about the way you approach your briefing material? No, nothing at all. In other news this morning, doctors around the country are pushing for indoor mask mandates to be reintroduced as COVID and influenza cases spike in several states. The Australian Medical Association says our health systems are already overwhelmed and stopping cases from spreading will ease the pressure, especially over winter. Yesterday, 65 people died from COVID in Australia, with more than 53,000 new cases recorded. Epidemiologist Professor Nancy Baxter says it's much better for everyone to mask up rather than just a handful of people. Right now what we're seeing is we're seeing, you know, still persistently high and in many places increasing numbers of people with COVID and people needing, you know, care with COVID. Uh, And then you also at the same time have the flu season that's starting. A major drug bust with authorities seizing an estimated $128 million worth of cocaine allegedly imported into Western Australia by a New South Wales man and a German national. Detectives say they've found the 320-kilo haul in a camper van on Sunday morning. The pair has been charged, officers alleging they have links to organised crime. And the Queen has made a surprise appearance at the opening of a London tube line named in her honour. The 96-year-old monarch wore a bright yellow hat and blue flowers in what some commentators say was a noted tribute to Ukraine. Seven Europe correspondent Hugh Whitfeld says Her Majesty was carrying a walking stick, but she looks incredibly well really big moment for the Queen and she looked absolutely um, absolutely beaming today in what's been described as this sunshine yellow. She didn't go to the state opening of Parliament last week. I said on the weekend um, covering the horse show that um, you know the Queen is really only going to things that she wants to go to now. Her Majesty was accompanied to the event by her son Edward and Prime Minister Boris Johnson. 
Now let's check what's happening in your state with our reporters on the ground. To Western Australia and firefighters might be called up to drive ambulances as the state government struggles to deal with its health and hospital crisis. Our reporter Emma Griffiths has more from Perth. Yeah, that's right, Taj. The state government is turning their attention to firefighters as St John's deals with excessive delays and COVID-related staff shortages. It follows a tragic death early Sunday morning. An 80-year-old Perth woman died while waiting for paramedics. She was unresponsive two hours after calling triple zero for chest pains. Premier Mark McGowan says talks are underway to improve the service. I'm getting urgent advice on this because obviously what's occurred is not acceptable. Um, Having said that, when you have 40% of staff out, like any organisation, it's not easy to manage, particularly at 2.30 on a, on a uh, Sunday morning. And to New South Wales, where a new task force designed to crack down on gang crime has hit the ground running. As Michaela Savage reports from Sydney, authorities have already made a number of arrests. Yeah, that's right, Tash. The state government's coming down hard on gang-related crime and illegal drugs. 60 full-time officers were added to the specialist task force this week and they've quickly got to work. Among the recent arrests are a high-ranking Comanchero's bikey gang sergeant-at-arms and a man allegedly involved in a shooting last month in Western Sydney. Police Minister Paul Tool says these criminals aren't normal people. They are scumbags and they are a scourge on our society. If they continue down this path, there is only one place for them and that is in a prison cell. While Detective Chief Superintendent Darren Bennett has applauded the quick work of Strike Force Erebus. That just shows our ability to quickly investigate these matters and bring them to a successful conclusion. A new trial has also just come into effect in select areas of the state where convicted drug dealers in their homes can now be searched by police without a warrant. Now for the latest in business and finance news, we're joined this morning by Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. Scott, good morning. More important economic data is out today and it's regarding wages. Tash, good morning. There certainly is that all-important wages number. We get to find out whether some of us are getting paid a little bit more than we used to, particularly when the inflation rate, as we know, is 5.1%. And this is vital data for so many different reasons. Obviously, the hip pocket is the most important one. Sometimes we get caught in the national averages, but the reality is people are doing it tough. Prices are going up, so that's important. But it also goes to the RBA's own expectations. They were hopefully going to wait until wages rose to put rates up. They didn't have that choice because prices beat them to it. They had no option but to go up. But yes, these are really important data. Um, We know, of course, that 2.3% was the last wages increase, hoping for something closer to 3%. It really is a wait and see. Hopefully, as I said, for most of us, there's more money in the back pocket. And talking about the RBA, you just mentioned it there before, the important Mm. cash rate and also interest rates. We found out yesterday the RBA actually could have gone harder with increasing rates. Yeah, this is amazing. So it it really goes to show the absolute about face in Martin Place. They started from a position of let's try and wait as long as possible. Originally, we remember we talked about it, it was going to be 2023 or 2024, they hoped, before rates would actually start to rise. Not only did they have to bring that forward by basically 18 months at the outset, but also they increased rates by 25 basis points or 0.25%. Some people saying, well, maybe it'll be 0.15. It turns out it could have been 0.4, taking the rate from 0.1 straight to 0. 0.5. In the event, of course, they chose not to do it. So we are talking about the, the maybes and the possibles, except what it tells us is they are leaning forward into more rate rises. Very, very likely we see more rises than maybe the market was originally expecting as early as next month in June, possibly July. The Aussie dollar jumped 1.5% on that news alone. The market's pretty sure there are higher rates to come and maybe, as I said, quite quickly. 
And Scott, there are, of course, renewed fears that if we see an increase in interest rates, that will cause the overheated housing market to collapse. And there's interesting predictions on that from both the RBA and ANZ. Yeah, and this is not this is not pretty either. Look at well, if you own a house, if you're looking to get into the property market, you're probably not too upset about it. But it really does have wide-ranging economic ramifications. The RBA is saying, look, they're worried that we it's been such a long time since we had rate rises. They are rightly worried about the psychology of the Australian consumer. What if? we stop spending? What if we stop paying more for houses? What impact does that have on the economy? Now, lower house prices sound good if you're looking to get into the market, sound terrible if you are, if you own a home. But either way, what it actually could do is suppress economic activity. And that's the real worry, the, the psychology related to that. RBA is saying in a worst case scenario, house prices could fall up to 15% when rates go up by another two percentage points. So those numbers are both scary in themselves. ANZ out yesterday saying not only, you know, that was the RBA's kind of worst case scenario, RBA's core case now, its its core forecast, is for a fall of 3% of house prices this year, another 8% next year, close enough to an 11% number. You've got to kind of compound that. They're close enough to 11%. Um, these are big numbers, double digits, whichever way you look at it. I think the Australian economy, Australian homeowners need to be prepared for falling house prices as rates continue to grow. Get ready for the roller coaster ride, Scott. Thank you. Thanks, Tash. <laughs> The sport now with Brett Thomas and Brett to the AFL first. And could Dustin Martin opt to leave Melbourne's footy fishbowl and seek a quieter life in Sydney? Yeah, maybe follow the path of Tony Lockett and Lance Franklin, as you said, in getting out of Melbourne where footy is a religion and it's so hard for him just to to get around town. I'm not sure how much quieter it will be for him uh, in Sydney, but he spent a lot of time up there when he was on personal leave for almost a couple of months. Of course, he's back in the Tigers' side now, but that talk about him potentially leaving Richmond doesn't go away. Now, surprisingly, Damien Hardwick, the coach, says he won't stand in Dusty's way. Whatever Dustin's decision is moving forward is up to Dustin. And to be honest, he has my blessing. What he's given me, us, our fans, has been incredible. Whatever we get from here on in is a real bonus. And what he has given them is three premierships, three Norm Smith medals and a Brownlow. So you can understand why there would be no hard feelings. Yeah, absolutely, Brett. And there's some extra spice to this weekend's NRL action with two players in line to face their former clubs. This will be interesting. Yeah, we love a bit of uh, extra spice in round 11, (laughs) don't we? We've got Brent Naden, who's already been named on the Tigers' reserves list, their extended squad, to face the Bulldogs on Friday night. Now, his departure from Canterbury was only confirmed yesterday and potentially could trigger a player exodus with Trent Barrett, of course, resigning uh, earlier this week. Now, Anthony Milford is set to end his NRL exile. He's been named in the night side to play at the Broncos. So looking forward to that. Victor Radley, though, looks like his origin dream will have to be put on hold for at least the first game of this year's series. His ankle injury is a lot worse than they first thought. He will have surgery out for six to eight weeks. His teammate, James Tedesco, is shattered for him. Yeah, it's disappointing. He was had a big chance of playing for New South Wales, but that's footy, I guess. And Mike Acevo, an outside chance to return for the Eels as well. And what happened in the A-League finals last night, Brett? Well, Melbourne Victory begun their uh, semi-final campaign in style, defeating Western United in the first leg of a two-game series. Midfielder Jake Brimmer converted the only goal of the match with the 74th-minute strike at Amy Park. And it comes, the touch from Jamie Young. Back in! Yeah, a great hit, that audio courtesy of Network 10. Brett, thank you. Thank you, Tash. 
And a Melbourne teenager has become the youngest Australian to climb Mount Everest. 19-year-old Gabby Canizay tackled the peak with her mum Jane by her side and she's described to Channel 7 what it was like to finally reach the top. It was the most amazing feeling just to know that you're literally on top of the world. There's nobody higher than you at this point. Well done, Gabby, and she now has her sights set on completing all 14 peaks across the world. And that's all you need to know to start your day with Australia Today's Morning Agenda in your podcast feed from 6.30am every weekday morning. You can also get your latest election news and analysis via the listener app. Head to the Discover tab and click on Your Vote 22. I'm Natasha Belling. Thanks so much for your company. Have a great day and we'll see you tomorrow.